Here's a sample of a free podcast from the Post Wrestling Cafe. $6 gets you through the door at postwrestlingcafe.com. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Disaster. Where's John Cena when you need him? <laughs> Welcome, oh everybody. Welcome, everybody, to a very special free edition of Collision Course. My name is Waiting here, filling in for the aforementioned John Cena, who uh, is a very busy man, always here at Post Wrestling, but especially tonight because he is actually joining John Pollock to talk about Impact's Bound for Glory. That show is probably on um, very shortly, if not at the same time as us right now. But that is over at the Post Wrestling Cafe feed. We're in direct competition. At I mean, we're having like the Saturday Night Wars. This. How are we going to score in the demo? Way? Oh my god! Okay, um, uh, okay. For those of you like listening to this on the audio, I'm also I'm getting attacked by a cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have we have the under uh, the, the, your cat uh, who is our version of the Undertaker. So I mean that that I think will uh, <laughs> you know take us over the top. I mean. Um, no comparison, of course, we are on a free platform here, but uh, this is a preview of the weekly AEW Collision review that you usually get here with John Cena and Kate from Montreal, who is joining me tonight. How are you doing? Hello. Kate? I'm doing great. I'm okay. I'm I'm doing wonderful. Actually, this is the, the the presence of the cat is actually not an unknown thing. If you tuned into Collision Course regularly, you know that Collision Cats is sort of a thing on both sides because John's yeah. cat has also made an appearance, and uh, my cat Lulu here has been known to uh, choose these moments to uh, demand attention. And you know, I I either give her attention or she's going to wreck the place. So possibly both so yeah cats and <laughs> collision you know mm -hmm. a perfect pair on a saturday night so um mm -hmm. yes we are here to talk about aew collision tonight as well as battle of the belts 
but uh but first maybe a little bit of you know uh, uh uh mentioning of what's coming up because not only do we have our bound for glory review which if you're listening to this right now well you can listen to that right after this uh jo- josh alexander versus alex shelley Sp- uh, speedball mike ba- bailey versus will osprey which um in just following twitter today looked um like it was pretty awesome trinity versus mickey james as well as the return of tna wrestling so go and check that out right now at postwrestlingcafe.com tomorrow on the free feed eric marcotte and phil chertok are back to talk about ufc 294 which took place earlier this afternoon they will be back sunday 9 a.m eastern time at youtube.com slash postwrestling for a live post show so bookmark the youtube or just subscribe to the free feed and you can listen to their review afterwards and one more note you can get your questions in right now for next week's edition of ask away patrons have the option to leave a question in the thread at forum.postwrestling.com but anybody listening has the ability to submit a question through voicemail at memo.fm slash post wrestling that is our monthly ask us anything podcast again available exclusively for our patrons john and i will be recording that on thursday next week so get your questions in before that but kate we are here to talk about not just collision but battle of the belts this is uh you know the second time i, I feel like they've done this on a saturday uh, in conjunction with yes. collision right yeah battle of the belt seven was also uh done after collision and we did cover it i know that after that one there was some discussion about whether or not we'd be covering future battles of the belts uh and I guess yeah, it makes sense to to do it, but um, well, we'll we'll get to my my thoughts on that. I I have to say though, they had they are. It almost feels like they are deliberately not doing much to hype this up. Like it's as if they they resent have the obligation to put these shows on. So this is very weird dynamic where it's almost like the network is insisting on this, but. Tony and his co his other bookers aren't interested in it and fans I mean it's become sort of a, a subject of derision so it's a very strange dynamic I want to know at the end of this review if you and Sino may be reviewing Battle of the Belts number nine uh, in the future. Okay, so let's start things off here. We are starting with Collision and the big dream match that Tony Khan was teasing right before AEW Rampage when he announced Andrade El Idolo versus Brian Danielson taking place here for the first time in AEW, uh, what he is deeming to be a dream match, kicking us off. Um, very good Matt wrestling early on for, from these two. And, you know, each of them are going for their finishers, uh, the LaBelle lock and the figure eight. Brian drives Andrade's shoulder into the ring post and he begins working over it during a commercial break. Andrade does this one arm comeback, which was really excellent. He comes back with a double moonsault that's countered by Brian. And then Brian locks in the LaBelle lock for the first time as Andrade reverses into the figure eight, but Brian gets to the ropes. Brian avoids the double knees in the corner and Andrade avoids the Busaiku knee. And then they break into a great series of pinfall exchanges, finally ending with Brian uh, playing a crucifix for the victory. An excellent, excellent technical wrestling match. Went about 15 minutes to me. Didn't feel like it at all. What did you think, Kate? I I like you. I had to check the timer at the end because that just flew by. And I was like, wow, that was actually kind of short. But no, it was 15 minutes. It was a good length for a TV match. And the only the only hesitation that I had going into it was when it, I saw that it came up first. And I kind of thought that was where they were going to put it. But I immediately thought, oh, God, is this going to be the thing that I like the most of the entire night? 
<laughs> and I with a Brian Danielson match, you're always going to have that out there. It's always going to be a pretty good possibility that that's the best wrestling that you're going to see. Spoiler alert, yeah, it was, at least for me. And I thought that this did this was built up as a dream match uh, pretty quick uh, pretty quickly. Um, they have actually uh, met before back in 2018 on SmackDown. Um, and I sort of remember seeing the match and I remember thinking that it was really good. This one, I feel like they are in more prominent roles on their shows than they were at that time on SmackDown. And I, but again, and this is the second time this has happened with Danielson in a big match to me. I was legitimately unsure who was going to win this. And so it was, there was, some anticipation around it. Like, was Andrade going to pull it off? Now, I think it's the right decision to have Andrade lose because of a plot element that we'll get into later. But this, yeah, this match was really, really strong. And I was, I, I was so happy to see them. One of the, the things that I think uh, hardcore AEW fans like is the fact that they'll just throw a match like this on. And that makes it exciting and not like, I guess the criticism is that they do that more often than investing in storytelling. But I actually thought this was a, a, a show where they did they invested in storytelling a lot. And so this was a really like it was a cool glass of water in the midst of everything else that was going on. Yep. Uh, not surprising. Love both guys. Thought this was just um, an excellent match. Really painful looking uh, at uh, at times. And yeah, started off kind of slow, more technical, and then built up, built up. Danielson's a master of uh, that kind of thing. Was it your match of the night? At least on AEW TV? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, Well, I'm only double checking because I thought there was at least another match tonight that might have at least been in contention, you know, for for that. But uh, we will talk about that a little bit later. But yeah, I thought Mm -hmm. this was, um, you know, between these two beautiful fluidity and their moments and they just, you know, created a really great TV match. I I mean, I looked at this as maybe a a rehab victory for Danielson after the uh, Christian Cage loss. And this, of course, does also advance him into a new feud by uh, perhaps the principal figure of tonight's edition of AEW mm-hmm. Collision. Because afterwards, the lights go out and out comes Malachi Black uh, mm-hmm. from the darkness as he delivers the Black Mass to Brian Danielson here. What do you think about this direction of uh, pairing Malachi Black with Brian Danielson? I'm so happy. Um, we've talked about this before. I, I'm a big Malachi fan. And I absolutely love the idea of having them meet up i thought that the the sort of the darkness and then the suddenness of that entrance just the how hard that uh i still want to call it the black mass the spinning heel kick looked it reminded me very much of when he debuted uh back a, a few years ago that one of their incredibly auspicious debuts that has been uneven since i like this and i like it even more in the context of what was to come on the show. So bring it on. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I'm not entirely sure if these two have ever faced off before, but um, in either case, like this feels like it's really fresh in AEW right now. And I, when I'm talking about like um, 
the modern day, like current Brian Danielson, he feels like a very different wrestler from what we had at any point in his WWE career. And, and the style of matches, I feel like you're going to get completely different as well, even if they did meet before in the past. So um, I, I don't think they did. And again, like even as to like to what you were saying, they would have only met on the main roster in WWE. And this would have been post Danielson's return, which was had some really great moments, but also had some uneven moments. And uh, Malachi's main roster run was not good. It really did not paint him in the best light. So I think that Danielson is peak Danielson right now. And Malachi has that aura about him again. So up next, we get a little bit of a recap of Darby Allen and Nick Wayne's relationship. And uh, Darby Allen alludes to knowing or having a high expectation of what Tony Khan's gift to Sting is. And he says it'll be very special. Uh, Tony Schiavone on the uh, uh, announce table also builds it up also as something that'll be very special as well. A uh, couple questions. Uh, what do you think it is? And do you think it's a tricycle? And a no and idea. A I don't, I mean, it's Tony Khan. He has more money than God. He can give him anything he wants. He can give him a small country. He could give him a plane. He could, like, he can probably, like, put him in a time machine and give him his youth back. Like, I don't know what this, like, you know, he has crazy money. Uh, I did notice one thing in Darby's promo, which was that he talked about Nick coming to him and saying that the fans had really turned on him and really hated him and he didn't understand. And I was confused by this because the fan reaction to him has actually been very good. And then he referred to seeing commentary online and like, oh my God, Nick, do not read the commentary online. We're horrible people. Never, ever read the commentary online. It, in, in your young life, you are just too like you you are too innocent to be soured by all of this anybody so, who that's what deep, you've been doing yeah anybody who digs deep enough it can find some negative uh sentiment about about uh, you no matter how likable you are um what are the chances that tony khan got sting a matching forehead tattoo uh that darby allen recently received i don't know if this was before or after his um death defying uh backflip on the tricycle I'm always a little iffy on facial tattoos and I have tattoos. That's um, look, he's committed to the look, but is that the side that he usually does his makeup on? It is. I think it is. It is. Yeah. I'm suspecting he eventually gets the whole half side of the face tattooed. So um, maybe it'll save, save him some time from putting on makeup every I'd say that week. except that it's not the, like the, the rest of the tattoo has always been him getting his skeleton done. That's not, his skull that he got tattooed. He's wow. got like a hand on there. Okay. Well, I'm not, he'll, he'll make it work. He'll make it work. Mm -hmm. You know, something oh, like sure. something like this feels like it's maybe the least, um, I guess, a uh, crazy thing I've heard about Darby Allen uh, over the past week. So that's the latest with Darby. We'll find out what this gift is. I'm very excited for that. Uh, we have pretty much an impromptu women's match on this edition of AEW Collision. Sky Blue versus Hollywood Haley. Uh, your thoughts on tonight's, um, I guess, quota of uh, women's wrestling action. <laughs> oh, I have some thoughts. Okay, first of all, let's look at the history of this match. The 
history is that at around noon today, AEW put out the card for collision with all the graphics and no women's match at all. The idea that they considered that acceptable should be embarrassing to them, but it isn't. They announced this match during the first match, and it was Sky Blue in action, which is AEW code for a squash match. They brought in someone, uh, Hollywood Haley has appeared on Dark before. She is an interesting figure in herself because, because what she's primarily known for, she's part of OVW, and the thing that has gained her a certain amount of notoriety is that her gimmick is perceived as kind of borderline racist in that she employs a lot of uh, African-American vernacular English in terms of how she expresses herself, including dropping in bond from time to time and sort of playing up this. Uh, she is the, the white girl appropriating black culture and it's not like it's not out and out racist, but a lot of people have found it in pretty questionable taste. So you got one two minute match on your show, and this is what you chose to do with it. It was it's as I said, it should be embarrassing, but it isn't. This is how they handle their women's division. And as much as you have certain people having really good matches, there has been so little progress in four years or going into the fifth year of AEW. And you'll get these brief little pushes where it seems like there is finally a, a blossoming and an awareness of the fact that they have to do better. And then it's clawed back. And this is inevitable they have wasted so many talents, so many debuts. And like Taya Valkyrie, what what are they doing with her? Ruby Soho has a title uh, match next week and who has been fairly prominent. They've just beat her like a drum. They have they have really struggled, and I know they have a lot of injuries right now, but the amount of time that they put into this division, the complete lack of effort that they get into story that they put into storytelling is inexcusable at this point. And what I would say is just from a business perspective, if you are struggling with one demographic as AEW, it's engaging women viewers. And is women's wrestling the only thing that women watch? Absolutely not. No, definitely. However, there is this question of wanting representation. And if you repeatedly deny viewers representation, then the message, the, the message that everyone will take from that is that you're just not interested in engaging them. You're not interested in showing them people who look like them. And there's, at this point, I, I don't feel like there's any other way to interpret this. So, yeah, what, whatever. I don't even know. I, I, it's irritating, and I can't even call it a disappointment anymore. It is just so, it is so much a part of what AEW is. And like I said, it's a stupid business decision because if you want to boost your ratings to compete more with, it, with WWE's big shows, with WWE's developmental territory, if you want to talk about it, which actually has just about the best women's representation on TV right now, then you could be 
making something that is more engaging and more welcoming for women viewers. And you're not doing that, so you're stuck. How much of it do you feel like the, this is, you know, simply due to like Tony Khan's maybe personal taste in his professional wrestling? I don't see it as anything but because the argument is that, well, they don't draw ratings. And I think that that does go back to their early days where they weren't able to sign a lot of women with higher profiles. And so they had they had the Joshis there, but there was a linguistic barrier. They had uh, people like Britt Baker. They very briefly had B. Priestley. Britt was still a very unproven commodity, so they didn't have a lot of names. And yes, the rating for those segments were lower, so it was harder to get established. However, at this point, you have a pretty deep talent pool. You have a lot of people who can work in the ring. You have a lot of people who could work with characters on the mic. And it's just you're not taking advantage of that. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. No, women don't draw. It's the... I mean, I hate to make this comparison because it's not at this level, but it is the mentality of the divas era where you just assume that people don't want to see women on air. And therefore, yeah, they have low rate. They have low ratings. People tune out during their segments, but that's not on the women. That's on you. And in fact, you can look from what WWE did that when they turned that around, women were getting some of their strongest ratings, Sasha Banks, 2017, when she was having her feud with Charlotte, was getting, uh, her segments were getting ratings on par with some of the biggest stars in the company. So no, it's not like you couldn't turn that around, but it takes an effort and Tony's not making it. So we have Sky Blue versus Hollywood Haley, a.k.a. Haley J of uh, OVW's and Netflix, The Wrestler's Fame. Um, just maybe a note on her. She did take part in a recent WWE tryout, but was pulled from the tryout over uh, concerns about her medical history, which she revealed to be uh, a, a ep- epilepsy. She has uh, This is a quote from uh, her Cafe de Brené podcast. I have epilepsy and my doctor is not trying to clear me to wrestle. My doctor, of course, they were like, we need a clearance letter. My doctor was like, no, I'm in the process of finding another doctor to, to get a second opinion. I haven't had a seizure in over six years, been off medication for four, been wrestling for almost four years, haven't had any issues. I don't know why they won't work with me. Waiting on a second opinion then, uh, I should be right back up there, uh, right back up at the top where I belong. And uh, that courtesy of Fightful and Cultaholic. So uh, this is Haley J versus Sky Blue. She is appearing on AEW at least tonight, but this was not much of a match because of Basically, a bit of a squash here with Sky Blue winning with the Code Blue. I didn't even get a chance to time this one. Um, still rocking her, I guess, new attitude, courtesy of Julia Hart's Mist. Uh, your thoughts on, I guess, what little we got to see of the match as well as Sky Blue's current run? It was a nothing match. I don't have anything to say about it. It didn't advance Sky's uh, story any more than the match last night with Ruby Soho. I guess it gave her a win, but. Did it do, like, is it a, a significant win? No. Got her so, face on TV and I guess reminded yeah. people about, you know, the, uh, her current, I guess, uh, transition to becoming this darker version of herself. But she was on TV last night. She was on TV for longer last night and they kept mentioning her transition. So is this really, you're you're going to burn your one women's match on this? Up next, we got the guns. 
taking on the Outrunners. No Juice Robinson coming out tonight, uh, but we have Jay White. I don't think Cardblade was even with them either, so um, down two members of Bullet Club Gold as the Guns. This was also another squash match pretty much with 310 to Yuma delivered to the Outrunners and just a very quick little squash. At this point, the lights go out again, and it is not Malachi Black, but the person wearing the MJF devil mask appearing on screen, looking at the mirror, and that seems to be it. Just sending a bit of a spooky message to BC Gold as the crowd chants MJF, MJF. And you have the commentators here kind of playing this up as if it was some sort of confirmation that MJF was the person who did the original attack. What did you think about this, um, I guess, second appearance by the man in the devil mask? I think that they did a good job of building up just a little bit of mystery because, yes, it's it could be seen as obviously MJF, but this is wrestling. You kind of expect there to be a twist. And the way that they use the lights out moments throughout the show to introduce interference from the House of Black, I thought it, it introduced a sort of intriguing other possibility that House of Black are just coming in, tearing through everyone throughout the show. So who's to say it's not them? Uh, kudos to uh, Jay at the end of this. I thought that his reaction to that was really good because as cocky as he's always being, he just gave this look of being very disconcerted just for a second. And it was subtle, but it worked really well. Well, uh, I'm also waiting for like this um, attacker to actually commit another act, you know, um, beyond this Jay White. I guess throughout the duration of this Jay White versus MJF build, they want this to be very focused on Jay White itself. But I'm also expecting um, another attack maybe on another ro- member of the roster eventually at some point too, um, to keep the mystery going. I agree. I agree. But I think that as soon as they – he and his group attack someone who's not directly related to MJF, then it sort of spoils the idea. Like as soon as it's someone who's not a threat in some way to MJF, then it's kind of okay. Then it's not MJF who's behind it. But now there are a lot of threats to MJF, aren't there? Mm-hmm. Mm, well, good. that guy in the mask was not Samoa Joe. I, no. I promise you that. Well, black is very slimming, Kate. So mm-hmm. <laughs> possible. Lexi is, is in the back with Orange Cassidy and Chris Statlander. And Statlander says, uh, you know, she's kind of like pacing around very anxious because she has nothing to get pumped up with before her match. And so she asks Lexi if she can grab her as she lifts her into a fire's, fireman's carry and basically just starts squatting Lexi throughout the course of this interview. Uh, just a bit of promotion for Battle of the Belts mm-hmm. with both of their title defenses later tonight. We have the legendary Dave Brown coming out for the next match on commentary. Uh, and this is, of course, the Memphis Street Fight with Eddie Kingston taking on Jeff Jarrett for um, a chance for Jay Lethal to face Eddie Kingston if Jeff, Jeff Jarrett can uh, beat him. So Jared goes to the uh, announce table and starts talking trash to Dave Brown. Uh, everybody in, in Jared's stable is immediately involved here in this basically no DQ match. There are hot dogs, mustard, and ketchup. I suppose this is, you know, um, I guess uh, Memphis <laughs> hot dogs and ketchup. Karen Jarrett distracts Eddie Kingston at one point, and this allows Jay Lethal to deliver a flying cutter to Kingston off the ramp and through a table. This somehow um, causes Eddie Kingston to bleed. Jarrett then grabs a barbed wire bat. 
uh, as we go through a commercial. Jarrett then sends Eddie Kingston through a table with an elbow drop. He then focuses on attacking Kingston's leg with weapons. He starts locking in the figure four as Eddie reverses it, and he keeps rolling to avoid Jay Lethal's diving elbow drop off the top. Somehow, Eddie Kingston has lost his Timberlands uh, throughout all of this, so he's fighting in his socks right now in this street fight as he's machine gun chopping everybody in Jarrett's table in the corners. Guitar shot to Sutton, I'm saying. Jarrett eventually lands the stroke, but Kingston kicks out. Karen Jarrett then gets into the ring and he slaps Eddie Kingston. And this somehow begins um, basically like sort of a, a sequence where everybody in the heel stable gets to hit their finish on Eddie Kingston, including the lethal injection two times, the choke slam from Sutton Singh, and then the stroke from Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett beats Eddie Kingston. So Jay Lethal gets that ROH title shot. What did you think about the match, Kate? I hated this. Uh, the thing is, I'm not like when it comes to using like food and messy props and that kind of thing, I'm not entirely opposed to it, but I'm not opposed to it when it sort of flows naturally from where the action is. If you've got guys fighting all over the arena and they're getting into the concession stand and that bring it on, it can be a really fun spot, but having everything set up like the hot dogs and the popcorn and everything else, it was such a WWE and bad wwe moment i thought the uh jay lethal the cutter spot through the table uh the the one that got eddie kingston bleeding i thought that that was a good spot individually i thought the match picked up marginally from the point where eddie got knocked out of his boots but in general this was just awful and this was happening, I glanced on Twitter, at the point where Will Ospreay versus Speedball was starting on Bound for Glory. And I had this incredibly deep and profound moment of self-pity. <laughs> Here I am watching this and just becoming angrier and angrier the longer it goes on because on top of everything else it was a foregone conclusion we know that we're getting eddie versus jay lethal for that title there was never any question so it's just a matter of watching all of this unfunny crap unfold so that we can get to an ending that we know is coming i yeah i i detested it uh, my least favorite thing that I watched tonight. And uh, how long did you say it was? I didn't say how long it was. I I mean... Because um, it, it was about 20 minutes, which would, I don't mean to harp on it, but I will, 10 times the length of the women's content on this show. 10 times. Yeah, well, <laughs> um, maybe they'll get their Memphis street fight eventually at some point. Um, somewhere. Oh, don't put that evil out there. <laughs> Hey, um, I so I don't disagree with you that this is very maybe WWE in nature, okay? Like you you go to a town and then you put blank town name and I guess, you know, uh, buy enough of what blank town is known for and put it on a table next to the ringside and just, you know, get away with it that way. And for whatever reason, I guess Memphis is known for their hot dogs. Um, I went into the is match. Is known for barbecue? I, like I was thinking like barbecue. Is, is I would have like expected more Tennessee. like Elvis. Elvis stuff, you know, um, I, I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of other Memphis, Memphis-y things they could have found. But I went into the match 
fully expecting this. You know, it's it is Jay Lethal, Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett and Sutton. I'm saying, and they're stable after all, and 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 they're very much known for to me for sports entertainment. Um, to me, I think the saving grace of a match like this and why it didn't feel like a complete joke is because you had somebody like an Eddie Kingston who is mm, who's able to make something serious out of really kind of any scenario. And they managed to book basically him like, you know, um, uh, like 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 the rock at WrestleMania 17, where he was just, you know, getting ganged up on and just beaten down completely with no friend to help him. And I ultimately think that's that's what the purpose of this match was, was to show that Eddie Kingston has no friends in the back to help him. And um, for the Jay Lethal match, may, it might serve as a bit of a sort of opening to introduce a new associate of Eddie Kingston's to finally come out. So I think it served its purpose. I mean, it was not necessarily a match. I, I would say you have to go out of your way to watch, but for what it was trying to achieve. I mean, I was expecting exactly, I think, what this was supposed to be. Up next, we have the acclaimed who are in the back, and they are uh, being interviewed by Lexi as Caster offends Lexi by asking her to use a belt on him ahead of Battle of the Belt. So they uh, then cut to a promo promoting their match. Oh, then, then, then the, the, the other two members of the acclaimed cut a promo promoting their match against daddy magic, Angela Parker and Daniel Garcia. And, uh, I believe Bowen's called daddy magic, a baked potato. Yeah. I'm yes. not really sure where that came from, but okay. Why not? Uh, CJ Perry then sits ringside for our next match, which is Miro versus Action Andretti. Andretti does very well early on until Miro just swats him out of the air. And then Miro just ends up dominating dominating through the commercial break. Andrade finally comes back with the Topicon hero, but Miro again quickly stifles that. He is about to lock it in game over, but Andrade gives him one more big run, uh, ending with a springboard 450 for a near fall. But then we just get the Machka kick and then game over as Andretti, uh, Andretti passes out. So um, I thought they gave Andretti maybe a bit more than I was expecting. I mean, when they announced mm-hmm. this match, I thought it would simply be just, you know, like a sky blue versus um, Hollywood Haley link type of type of match. But this ended up going two segments and uh, it still resulted in a very dominant performance from Miro. But what did you think about the match? I really liked this. Like, I liked it considerably more than I thought I was going to. This isn't the first time that they've put Miro in a position where it's kind of a squash match, but the other guy gets some stuff in. And that works with him because he is more than just power booze. He is a good wrestler. He's a good fighter. And you want to take advantage of that. I thought that Andretti played his role very well because at the beginning you see he's able to kind of take advantage of this overconfidence that Miro has going in because of his size. As the match went on, he slowed himself down. So where he was able to duck moves near the beginning of the match, he wasn't able, like he was struggling to, and therefore he was getting hit more and more. I thought that even the way this was shot, I thought was very effective because the cutaways to CJ and her just looking sort of amused, like she doesn't care what happens. She's trying to get under Miro's skin. And yeah, if her guy wins, all the better, but it's not really a big deal. I I was very impressed with this. I thought it furthered the story with Miro and CJ quite well. I thought Andretti, he took a loss, but he didn't look bad in it. He was able to get some offense in against Miro. So yeah, this this made me happy. 
Are you suggesting this is like sort of like a you know the second coming and maybe a more wrestling based version of the cooking storyline that they were attempting with um Lana and uh was it Bobby Lashley <laughs> Dolph or Bobby Lashley? I forget at this Bobby Lashley. We, yes. It was Bobby Lashley and yes. uh we don't have time to get into how much I hated that angle. Okay. Well, um, this does seem to be the direction, right? You know, she's, she's asking people to, to, um, you know, whether or not, um, she, she could manage them, uh, thereby getting Miro, um, really angry at them. And then Miro ending up, um, completely destroying them on AEW collision. So, uh, that continues and, and more development on that throughout the evening. As we go next to Lexi there is in the back with the former JSS members who I think still really need a new name for their faction. Anna J says that they are all on the same page. And daddy magic says that they've had a great breakfast this morning with no dancing. Uh, then this seems to make Daniel Garcia upset. So Jay pulls them aside as they all start arguing. Ruby. Soho then comes into the interview area as, uh, there's a bit of a sort of, a you know, um, um, interaction here with ruby soho and cool hand Ange, and he tells cool she tells cool hand Ange that she knows the feeling of having family problems and then what did she do here so she's got a match against hokaru shida on wednesday a title match did, and then which is already announced but, but yeah i thought did she end up like i thought she ended up like issuing some sort of open challenge tonight or what was mm-hmm. this yeah she's just like oh i'll face anyone i want a title i like no matter like no matter where I'll take on anyone any day of the week, and you're kind of like, um, sweetie, you, you got a world <laughs> title match on Wednesday. Like, you know, focus on that. Maybe I, it's one of those. Is this, is this how somebody gets a title match in AEW? Just, you know, I'll face anybody, even, uh, I know randomly the world champion. I won one match last night. What else are you going to say? I'm like, there's not again. Women get one match per show, so if you're on a one match winning streak, that uh, could very well move you to the front of the line. But I, actually, I, I mean, I thought that she did well here. It was just silly because they'd already announced that she had this match with Hikarashita based on the strength of her winning last night against Sky Blue. So sounds like a production okay. error, or or mm-hmm. yeah, I guess if they already announced it last night, then. No, they didn't announce it last night. They announced it earlier in the show. And it wasn't even that far in advance of doing this segment. So why wouldn't you just hold off? Uh, We get another video of LFI and Roosh talks he's doing a lot of yelling to his you know stable mates uh, over the these past several weeks and he says he's sick of not being on tv because the company says he's too dangerous he says he's mm-hmm. learned english he's learned their style of pro wrestling uh and he's he's done it all just to see others get what he deserves uh, i thought Roosh said it really good here you know and the yeah, man made some very strong points he was full of fire and you know, learning a new language and learning a new style of mm-hmm. wrestling is not an easy thing. So I think this, nope. the, he, you know, this is the, him saying what the audience probably also feels about him. Well, the, the two big points that he made, he's learned English and he's been held back because people think he's too rough. The mm-hmm. promo that he cut proved that his English has gotten stronger. And the second point is something that is well known about him, that he is known for working very stiff and that that has been perceived as a problem on television. So yeah, very, very clever, very, I very eager to see this faction and particularly him get, 
back in the swing of things on uh, on collision. We go to the trainer's room where Eddie Kingston is nursing his injuries from the street fight, and he cuts a promo to Jamar, the real name of Jay Lethal. He tells Jamar, he says the reason why he made him jump through all these hoops to get the ROH title shot is because he is sick of hearing Jay Lethal, Jamar, call somebody like Jeff Jarrett his uncle. He says, Jay, Jamar, you're not a man. You're not a, a fan. You're not a lover of pro wrestling anymore. He says, you are Jeff Jarrett's little bitch. And this is not the Jay Lethal he used to know. He tells Jamar not to bring his parents to their match uh, in Philadelphia on Wednesday because he knows them. And it'll hurt him to beat him up in front of his mother. It'll hurt her because she knows he deserves it. So a very intense emotional promo from Kingston as he almost uh, falls off his poor uh, doctor's um, table, um, uh, therapist table, I should say, as he tries to sit back down. What do you think? I just If Battle of the Belts had been nothing but Eddie Kingston talking for an hour, I would have considered it one of the more successful Battles of the Belts. I, I, I love... Eddie talking so intense, so real. Credit to the medic in the background because her reactions were pretty good. Like just this, oh, here he goes again, mixed with, is this going to become dangerous? So I liked that as an added element. Um, At one point, he just like saliva flew out of his mouth and hit the camera. So like there's these little droplets of saliva mixed with blood sort of hanging there and... I like saliva just with me and I still thought it was amazing. Did they actually announce when the tag, uh, when the title match will be? I don't recall. If you tell me it's Wednesday, it's Wednesday, but I don't. Uh, Yeah. I would only assume. So I, you're, you're, uh, so I correct myself, but they have not officially announced when the tag match will be, but I mean, Eddie Kingston seems to really think um, Jay Lethal's parents might be there. So um, I'm, I'm expecting somewhere in the, in the New Jersey, maybe North, Northeast area. So, uh, correct me, chat room, if I'm wrong on that. Up next, we have FTR in action. This was one of those in-action promotions ahead of the uh, AEW Dynamite. FTR takes on Bad Fad Brown and Darian Bankston, um, two names that I'm sure are very real and probably have cage match profiles, but um, they're wonderfully jobberific, lovely names here. Uh, this is FTR's first match since losing the tag titles, and before the match can even really get going, the lights go out again. And it is once again Malachi Black. The lights come on and then the lights go out and it's the rest of the House of Black. They all attack FTR. The match is DQ'd. Brody, who is now uh, wearing a cast on his broken wrist that says death on it, uses the cast as a weapon. And the House of Black have yet added another target uh, as the whole stable has now returned. Mm-hmm. Love it. I thought that this built up really well. And again, at that moment, you know that it's not just Malachi Black targeting Brian Danielson. These guys have just come for everybody. and They look intimidating. I thought that, yeah, just accomplished more saying nothing than a lot of people do in like a two-minute promo. It feels like, I mean, since Collision has, you know, become a thing, they've been um, a staple of the show and uh, Mm -hmm. they've, they've kind of missed out on this, like I would say post CM Punk, like Brian Danielson era of the show so far. So seeing them come back and specifically target Brian Danielson, um, who has now kind of taken over 
you know, mm-hmm. what, what they should view as their show is uh, making for a bit of an interesting storyline. So more on that later on in this review. Uh, Wednesday on Dynamite, we've got MJF versus Juice Robinson for the ring. We've got Hikaru Shida versus Ruby Soho for the title. Tony Khan's incredible gift to Sting. We also have announced from last night, the Hung Bucks take it on the Hardys and uh, Brothers A. And also Renee interviews Chris Jericho. So no, I, I don't think we're getting uh, Eddie Kingston versus Jay Lethal on Wednesday. That would be a t- fit uh i'm sure there'll be more announced you know at some point uh more people in action ahead of wednesday kate say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill and then we have our main event here for the aew tag team championship it is big bill and ricky starks taking on the bcc's claudio castagnoli and wheeler yuda jr says that uh, he was in memphis and had breakfast with jerry lawler this morning so that's that's very nice to know uh, the match starts and the heels just beat on Yuta for from the start of this match for a very, very long time. Claudio cannot tag in. And after quite a while, Claudio finally tags in to what I would deem to be a pretty average crowd reaction, given how much time they might have spent on uh, building up that hot tag. Claudio mocks Ricky's rope walk. We get another commercial break with the heels in control. And the heels again continue beating on Yuta by keeping him away from Claudio. Yuta is nearly lifeless at this point. Claudio tags in again, hits a big giant swing, followed by a drop kick from Wheeler Yuta that gets a two count. The BCC are about to go for their fastball special, but out comes the House of Black again as they attack both members of the BCC. Spear and Rochambeau to Wheeler Yuta gives Ricky Starks and Big Bill the win. Um, like I mentioned, Kate, I thought crowd reactions for this were relatively quiet given you know this was a main event title match, but um, I don't know if that was because people just simply didn't buy Yuta and Castagnoli as like, you know, very significant challengers. So um, the match did feel a little long for me. Quality was, I think, you know, uh, on the level that you would expect, but not really of the importance that I think demanded the length. No, I think that when you look at what the first match was like, I noticed the time going into this, like it started at nine thirty-four, and I just remember looking at the clock and going, Oh God, is this going to justify going 25 minutes? Now, as it happened, it didn't go quite 25 minutes because of the interference and the the whole thing at the end, which we'll get to. But I thought the teams really didn't have too much chemistry and it did feel particularly at first, like they were wasting a lot of time. I did like the Claudio mimicking Ricky Stark's rope walk. I I thought, especially the fact that he sold it, like he wasn't really super comfortable doing it, which you could understand. I liked the idea of the clash of styles between Ricky and Big Bill, who are kind of super slick and charismatic and always sort of pulling like sneaky moves, that kind of thing with this very gritty down to earth, hard presentation that the BCC has, but I didn't find it worked as well in practice as it did in theory. And like you said, the hot tag to Claudio was, it was a warm tag. 
it was a, a, a tag that, you know, if someone's been taking a shower for a long time and has used up a lot of the hot water tag. So the it made, in retrospect, the beatdown of Yuta for so long seem interminable. Like, really, this is what we were building up to? So I, I'm complaining a lot. It's not that I thought it was a bad match, but it just... It dragged for me. And as you said, I don't think the audience bought into the idea that there might be a title change. I didn't buy into the idea that there was going to be a title change. So at the end, when House of Black ran in, it was kind of a relief. It's like, okay, so we're just, mm -hmm. we're not even pretending that this is going to end in a normal way. And I thought it was better than the complete sort of screwy finishes that they've been doing with Starks and up until this point. Yeah. I mean, really just, I, you know, a match, I think there to, well, first of all, uh, I'd be able to promote a, another title match for the evening, I guess, but also just to add another notch to Ricky Starks and big bills, um, sort of, um, a record. Um, but I also feel like they've really not done anything to tell stories for this team of Claudio and Yuda. They've given them wins, but I mean, they haven't necessarily, um, given us much more than that you know no real motivation nor like any i think any sort of like um characterization that will like put into the audience's minds that these two are actually like contenders and might actually win these championships and i don't know if that's simply because um you know danielson and mox are i think far more advances as promos and they get the bulk of the promo time um but it does this match does like let me know that like it's a far cry between those two and this tag team now of yuda and claudio and where they're at in the audience's eyes mm -hmm. so after the match uh house of house of black is still there as they stare down big big bill and starts with the title before they just all decide to work together as heels beating up wheeler yuda here this prompts brian danielson to come up from the back as all the heels attack then ftr comes out and they get beaten down and finally john moxley comes out here to the arena and it is BCC FTR taking on the entirety of the House of Black and Starks and Big Bill with the baby faces outnumbering them six to five. So they've driven the the heels out. Starks re-enters the ring expecting the House of Black to back him up. But instead, the House of Black betray him and simply leave, leaving Starks alone to take the beat down from the baby faces as Claudio Giant swings him forever to close the show. I mean, there's a, quite a bit of time left in, in, at the end of this. And, and I mean, I didn't count the rotations, but it could have been up in the, in the twenties or thirties by this point. Yeah. It was close to that Ilya Dragunov, a uh, hundred turns around that they did on the NXT UK pay-per-view several years back. Yeah. Uh, so overall for collision, I really enjoyed Andrade Danielson. Definitely a match I would recommend. Um, I did not dislike the Memphis Street Fight as much as you did, you know, just mainly because I thought um, Eddie's performance was was really strong in it. Everything else was just kind of there, uh, except for I guess the the return of the House of Black was, which was maybe the big story beat of the entire episode. I guess but, the thing for me at the very end was that you invested all this time. It was the through line for your entire show, making the House of Black look like monsters. And then at the end, wouldn't it have made more sense to have them kind of standing tall and then to let Ricky Starks, who has been one of the focal points of the whole show, like he got himself Nick Wayne at the end there 
just getting beaten down by everyone. So it was sort of undercutting what I thought was a very strong presentation throughout the show. With this one, I found my opinion went up and down and up and down. Like it was, I I really liked the opening match. I really liked the bits at the the uh, Andre, uh, Andretti versus Miro match and the interplay with CJ there. And then, yeah, I hated the street fight. I hated the women's match for what it was. The the only thing that I was sort of mid on was the the main event. Well, if that title match didn't suit your needs, maybe these next four title matches might change your mind, Kate, because we have Battle of the Belts to talk about, and we bleed from the last segment directly into the start of this one, and the first match on this edition of Battle of the Belts between Orange Cassidy and John Silver. So the show starts off with the BCC still in the ring as Orange Cassidy's music hits, and so we get our first interaction since the title shenanigans with the international title between John Moxley and Orange Cassidy. As Mox makes it, or sorry, as Cassidy makes his way down the ramp, Moxley walks up to him, shoulder checks him, and uh, gets into a bit of a sort of, you know, um, scuffle with um, Cassidy and the rest of the BCC as Claudio gets it, gets in his face as well. So um, this will lead to a uh, match announcement later on in the show. They re-air clips from Full Gear 2020 during the pandemic when uh uh, John Silver last faced Orange Cassidy and Orange Cassidy of course won that one there was a big spot in the middle of this match with Silver dropping Cassidy off the top rope and onto the apron Uh, then just you know um, more bails on the floor from John Silver as he shows off his power crowd reactions I felt for this one were also not not very strong Um, Mm -hmm. pace started to pick up after a commercial break for Orange Cassidy's comeback, Reynolds gets involved on the outside, decking Cassidy with the belt for a two count. The finish comes as Orange trips John Silver into the second turnbuckle and then delivers the Orange Punch for the win. I thought the match was okay. Uh, crowd reactions to me, again, were pretty mm, a little bit quiet for this one. And I'm trying to also see throughout this Uh, orange cassidy title run what they might be doing differently this time around Um, because the last thing i would really want as much as i enjoyed orange cassidy's last international title run it peaked so perfectly and i think it ended Mm -hmm. so perfectly the last thing i would want was would be them for simply you know um to just see them repeat the entire thing and the whole gimmick of him trying to survive these you know very frequent defenses and the sense I got from this match was that it, it it was very much just a repeat. You know, he's just still trying to survive and, he, and he's he's getting hurt. Um, so I'm I'm still looking for what that new wrinkle might be this time around. But what did you think, Kate? Very much the same thing. I thought that the match itself, very good. Silver is underrated in the ring and he showed that uh, he has more to offer than you might think. It cemented the Dark Order as a heel faction now, since they, that has been really the direction in which they've headed, and they've now been presented as heels. But this was the biggest match that they've had to really make that obvious. But the crowd was just so dead. And as you said, there's nothing new about this. And that run with him getting more and more injured, culminating in the main event of All Out, which is in my the, the in contention for me to be the the best pay per view of the year. I thought that, as you said, it peaked perfectly, and now going back to what was working before, 
is a step backward. So it doesn't feel as exciting and it's not as compelling because we know Orange Cassidy can go. We know that he's incredibly strong. We know that he's resourceful, but it needs to evolve. And it's done the opposite of that. So liked the match, but ultimately it kind of, it failed on a storytelling front. It failed on an audience engagement front. And therefore, you know, I can't, I can't really give it like the big thumbs up. So it looks like they're rebuilding to Orange Cassidy versus John Moxley. Do you think this is a title change? I would think so. But some of that depends on exactly how cleared Moxley is. Like he had some physicality tonight, so I assume he's fine. But there's, I mean, even in his case, there's probably a lot of wear and tear from matches that he's had in the last year. And again, I don't know if that's the way to go. Like, yes, you would love to have that title on a name as big as Mox. But then again, you're just repeating yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, We shall see. So Andrade is seen backstage with Lexi and CJ comes in to interrupt him. She says that she can guide him to be the best and perhaps even most handsome wrestler in the world. How's she going to do that? What's how's she going to make this guy any more handsome than he already is? I don't think he needs much work. He's a, he's a fine looking man, but uh, I guess maybe making him more appreciated and whatever she has in mind. Yes, do it. I like, I really like this pairing. They teased it before with her watching one of his matches. And I think that the ultimate match with him and mirror, and there's reasons to hold that off. They are uh, they are going to be very well uh, matched, and I think that that is going to be a good contest. So, yeah, let's build up to that. And I think that as a sort of uh, a mouthpiece, as uh, a, a figure who's sort of getting him to the next level, kind of harkens back to what Zelina Vega did when he was in NXT. And that worked. And CJ is a, a great character that way. This is a case where on. this is a case where I'm actually hoping that they follow through with this pairing, and it's not just um, um, CJ getting you know like this is. I hope it's not simply a build to Andrade and then Miro, and then the you know CJ and Andrade have no 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 more interaction beyond that. So mm-hmm. let's see. Mark Sterling is in the ring with Tony Nice, and Tony Nice wants everybody here to stop looking like the fat version of Elvis. Uh, his group training is interrupted by Samoa Joe. This is also a match that they announced relatively late in the game, if not even on the collision itself. Um, we got Samoa Joe versus Tony Nice for the ROH Television Championship, and commentators very casually mentioned that Joe is 12 days away from breaking Jay Lethal's record for longest ROH TV title reign. And this is a record that's even receiving less publicity than MJF um, beating Kenny Omega in, um, I guess, less than 13 days now. So Joe doesn't even care, seemingly. Like, he, he's already got has his sights set on, you know, the other championship. So, all right. Joe does his walk away to Nisa's moonsault and follow, follows up with a huge lariat for a big uh, reaction. Then we get the muscle buster, another quick squash here, and the crowd was very hot for it. Uh, it seems like they're just getting ready, Joe ready for another main, main mm-hmm. level Tuttle challenge. Mm-hmm. 
but you know what fun little squash i think the advantage of putting him against someone who is as agile and experienced as nice is that his offense looks particularly sharp it looked really hard hitting and was was effective and that's what you want going into the promo that he got afterwards joe grabs the mic he tells mjf that he's going for the aew title and mjf can give him a title shot or he can make max give it to him so the announcers do point out that a lot of people are going after mjf at the same time so uh clearly like a a story that they're trying to build to uh so we'll see what the result is of that up next our next match of the evening is for the tbs championship Chris Statlander defending against Willow Nightingale. Willow uh, has also been suffering, I guess, from the effects of Julia Hart's mist, though not as affected as Sky Blue here. The two of them exchange very heavy body slams with one another during the commercial break. They're both wrestling essentially like they're mirror images of one another. Very evenly matched, both employing a lot of the same offense. Kevin Kelly um, at one point says, Chris Statlander has been one of wrestling's most dominant performers. She has been 26 and one in her last 25 singles matches. The math isn't mathing. No, not really. Um, I'm giving him the benefit of the, of the doubt that he means 27 singles matches. I suppose they get up top and Willow delivers a huge death Valley driver off the second rope. Willow gets up to the top and Statlander picks her down with a power bomb followed by a 450 slash for the victory. Uh, I thought an excellent match from these two. Now, um, certainly the second, to me, the second best match of the night. Um, some people yeah. might even suggest the first best match of the night, if this is your preference, but I thought this was incredibly strong. What did you think? Yeah. Very, very much agree. And I liked the idea that, you know, it's power versus power. And it's not as if Chris hasn't had that kind of match before, because she had one against Jade Cargill. I like this one more. I think Willow is a little more versatile in the ring than Jade is. And I liked the way that they played this. I'm very glad there weren't shenanigans at the end. Willow loses clean. I also kind of like this idea that Willow is affected by the mist, but she's kind of so positive and that is such a powerful element to her that she's kind of fighting off this infection or whatever you want to call it in a way that other uh, that other women aren't, particularly that Sky Blue isn't. And the Julia was unable to do. And I hope they kind of lean into that. But I I really like both these women. I thought that they gave it a good, uh, a really good effort. That sounds incredibly patronizing. And it's not what I mean. I would say, yeah, second best match of the night. I think I could have had it go a couple of minutes longer. And I think maybe if it had been a little longer, it would have been very close to the match of the night. And I like the fact that it was so different than the Danielson versus Andrade match, because if you have a couple of really good matches on a show, you want them to be very distinct from one another. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, just but just even within the women's division, I thought this was a match that stood up Mm -hmm. because these are two power based wrestlers that um, again, they they told a mirror image, you know, almost like a stalemate type of story because they have very similar in ring styles. And I thought they Mm -hmm. meshed really well together, really good looking offense. And they managed to get this crowd pretty deep into the show when a lot of prior matches could not. So it tells you something not just about the wrestling, but I think about the connection to the characters um, that Mm -hmm. both that the audience has with them. And I think that this was a case where there are two characters, particularly Willow, where they have engaged the audience a little more and they've given them the time to to connect, even if it's not through promos, just in the way they've been presented. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 
Afterwards, Willow is about to shake Statlander's hand, but out comes Sky Blue to stop her. Uh, but Willow decides to do it anyway. So maybe what you're suggesting is right, Kate. That um, so what the, from what we understand, maybe the the mist simply opens up the possibility of corruption, and it depends on internally what that person has. If they ha- can resist, if they have enough, I guess, um, f- force, <laughs> like whatever, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, you know, positivity within them to be able to withstand the power of positivity, power of positivity to, to heal from the mist. Well, then they, 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 they can, um, I, I guess they're immune. So maybe that's what they're showing here with Willow. Um, so, uh, but clearly they're building to sky blue versus Chris Statlander at uh, some point in the very near future. Orange Cassidy is talking to Lexi in the back, and he says that Mox got into his face before the match. Claudio, Brian all got into his face. He does not care about Yuta, but he challenges Brian and Claudio specifically to a match with himself and Kazuchika Okada coming up in Philadelphia. So that has just been added to AEW Dynamite, Brian and Claudio versus Orange Cassidy and Orange Okada in philadelphia well it it, there is some sense to this because cassidy is part of the chaos faction and okada made that clear last year when he showed up at forbidden door like yes the whole group is in is included now my guess is that this is actually a way to set up the danielson okada rematch for wrestle kingdom and just to get that process started i obviously you know you can't say no to Okada. I think it's going to be an amazing match. Could just be like Okada. Like, you know, I, I, I've i got a, a weekend off. I really want to, you know, uh, visit Philadelphia to um, have some cheesesteak. And by the way, you want to wrestle tag match? All right. Jump in. Yeah, I mean, sure. there are certainly like two options right now, I suppose, for Brian Danielson. Um, a lot of us are just assuming that he's going to be a part of Wrestle Kingdom. But um, um, it, yeah. it'll either be Zach or it'll be okada and and considering that like i think zach's challenge was for like a rematch in the uk or at least like mm-hmm. on a new japan show i'm getting i'm sensing maybe in the uk maybe leaning more towards okada versus danielson we'll see if this builds to that uh wednesday so very exciting um okay uh we have our main event of the evening here between the acclaimed and daddy ass taking on Daniel Garcia, daddy magic and cool hand. Ange. so two daddies in this match, um, double cast- daddy, double daddies. Yes. Uh, uh, caster comes out with his rap. He, he raps about Dylan Brooks. He says, Garcia is looking unhealthy, like the skinny bitch who dates Travis Kelsey. And, um, I'm, I'm sorry I even had to repeat that because poor Taylor Swift has just been getting a ton of hate from these wrestlers farming for engagement over the past um, 24 hours here, including Grayson Waller, who um, has been getting it uh, pretty harshly from the Swifties. So um, what has poor Taylor Swift done to any of these wrestlers? I think that I don't know if you saw how much money she earned from the opening weekend of her documentary. I she can afford to wipe her tears away with hundred dollar bills, so I think she'll she'll land all right. Grizz, the Memphis Grizzlies mascot, has joined the acclaim. Um, they've added a fourth member, at least for this evening, and the four of them all scissor together. 
uh, Garcia starts the match. He's immediately threatening to dance as Daddy Magic rushes in to stop him. The crowd is already chanting, do the dance, do the dance. Billy Gunn tags in. They attack. Uh, he attacks each member. And then um, <laughs> he does his crotch chop um, after this big comeback. And usually um, he says two words, but tonight I counted four words. And two of those words um, of the four were not uh, very TV friendly. So I don't know if that got bleeped out uh, on, on TNT or not. Garcia again teases the dance, but gets cut off. He finally beats Caster down and finally does his dance. Um, but he took so long doing the dance that the acclaimed have recovered on the outside. So the three of them come in, they triple team him. The acclaimed hit his, uh, this move where they lift um, uh, Garcia into the air and just kind of flip him onto this ba- his back. I don't know if they have a proper name for it, but it seems to be a new finisher for them. Um, and then they win. So what do you think about the match, Kate? It's funny because that sort of pendulum move that they did at the end, that was Dark Order's trios finishing move or something very similar to it uh, when they did the initial trios championship. This one, I was kind of running out of steam for. And, you know, it's this is the benefit of putting more of a comedy match on at the end of the night versus like, okay, I'm burnt. Give me something goofy and let's let's wind this up. So it was fine. I did like the element at the end that they added to this story that Garcia is going through. He did his dance, which he's very insistent on doing, but then it cost them the match. And you know that that's going to come into play later, especially you saw the threat there already as soon as Anna got kicked out. So a little bit of storytelling at the end there, something that will undoubtedly continue Garcia's dance is now just about as over as the scissoring, which is really saying something like this crowd. It's late in the evening and they pop for that thing. My God. So ultimately, the aim of this is clearly to get Garcia off on his own. And I'll be curious to see how they handle it, because, of course, the point should be to give him a more serious run, but the crowd is so invested in this dance that it's going to be a tricky wave. He's such a good wrestler that they, they really need to do something more serious with him, but but is he a better wrestler or a better dancer? Oh, I'll say wrestler just because he's more versatile as a wrestler, but, uh, he only really got that one move. The hips don't lie. (laughs) Well, um, I was not as big of a fan of, of of this match really at all. Um, and I think part of it is, is because it's, it was the last match on the show. And I understand that, you know, in AEW, the last match is not always the most important. It's not always really the main event, but man, when I'm watching a three hour show, it's hard to really mm-hmm. get that, stay that focused, get that excited. If anything, I would have ended the night with Willow versus Chris Tatlander for a more enjoyable view. Cause that match to me at least felt more important. This match yes. really did feel like a house show match. And um, I, I was not, really engaged for much of it especially when the main story you're trying to tell is of a guy trying to stop another man trying to dance you know which to me is a lot more opening match fodder than you know something that i really can stomach at the end of a three-hour show um yeah yeah but that's Battle of the Belt, isn't it? You know, like it, it's mm-hmm. a lot of these ma- shows, uh, matches that really don't have a whole lot of story going into it. The quality might be of the standard that you would expect from AEW. But at this point, do we really need, you know, was it that much? There was the um, one match where it was. True. 
I don't know yeah. if I'd say any of the rest of it. So uh, my question again, Kate, will you and Sino be reviewing Battle of the Belt 9? What I will say is, and when when you and I talked about this, my one point was, I think Willow versus Chris is going to be very good. It's This is the point that we're at. I'm, we're going to be reviewing Collision anyway. So to me, if they can give me one match in an hour that I can say, yep, I want to see that one. It's worth waiting to see that one. And believe me, I could have stopped after that. Like if you, if you messaged me, it's like, you just want to say, screw it and do the show now. I would have said yes. So I know that these aren't going to be exciting. It remains the case that there has only ever been one title change on a battle of the belts. And it was on the first one. So it, on top of everything, now you've got this, like it's a third hour on Collision and holy Christ, I do not ever want to see one of their shows expanded to three hours because I had forgotten how difficult that could be. But yeah, what I'd say is in the future, if they can give me one match in the hour that I really want to see, then yes, I will say that we we should do a Battle of the Belts review. But I don't know if they're going to do that. Yeah. Um, so unless you're reviewing this for a professional wrestling podcast network, I would suggest you pick and choose from the entire evening. And my recommendation, I think our recommendations would definitely be Danielson okay. versus Andrade, definitely Willow versus Chris Statlander. Uh, what else would you add to that list, Kate? I'd throw in Miro versus Andrade because I thought that uh, I thought that, that was a good and it's a shorter match. It's not going to eat up a ton of your time, but it had some nice back and forth. It did also, it reminded you that, you know, Andretti can go in the ring. So it had, it, it didn't outstay its welcome. So I'd say that, but I guess the more intriguing bit is that I would actually tell people to watch the whole show so that you could appreciate the storytelling that was going on, obviously with the house of black, also with CJ, that that was being tied into do different things. So I thought that, yeah, there were two really strong matches. One that I thought was, was worth watching, but this was a show that was built around developing plots and that's, I think that's something that a lot of people don't credit AEW for doing, even though I think that they do They do tell stories, just maybe not always the ones that people want to see. In this case, yeah, I'm very curious to know where they're going with it. I think that House of Black come out of this looking like a force to be reckoned with, and they seem like the central characters of Collision right now, immediately. Facing a, a, what looks to be at least temporarily a, a unified front of FTR and uh, the BCC. So let's see where that leads. So those are some of our thoughts on tonight's AEW programming. Now we invite the patrons of postwrestlingcafe.com and also video.postwrestling.com to call in uh, every Saturday and also every Friday. But uh, also Saturdays are your second chance of the week to call in and give your thoughts on AEW product or just even other topics in the world of wrestling and let's start things off here with Hanzi welcome Hanzi what's going on now what's going on hey. cold? I, I, I had to apologize because I was kind of get, getting into it there was someone in the chat so I hope I, I wasn't distracting you guys whatever and all that kind of stuff man now um I, I'll, I'll before I get into uh collision I'll just say that uh I don't know if you guys have heard the news yet but uh TNA is back guys TNA Mm-hmm. You guys hear the news? Mm-hmm. I, I did hear the news. Yes. What do you think yeah, about Hansi? 
What? Uh, no, I, 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 I was watching both Bound for Glory and this, and I was also listening to Sino and Pollock at the same time while listening to you guys, whatever. How did so, you, you know, manage just... that? How did you listen to two podcasts at the same <laughs> One time? One in each well, year. Well, no, 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 no. I, I had the, I had the, la- I had the laptop in, in, in my room, whatever, and then I had the iPad where I'm listening to Pollock and Sino, whatever. I have like multiple devices where well, I. How did you pay attention to both? Yeah, that was more the trick. Well, the, well, the, the thing is, if you if you're having some discussion, I tend to pause other stuff. And then I kind of let stuff go. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I kind of have my own little, I, I don't want to go through the whole thing, but I have my own little, like, my own little, like, uh, my own little, like, like, uh, p- preparation for how to listen to all this stuff. But no, it, it just, uh, no, it, I, I thought it impact from, I think, like, the, the, the match of the night for any show would probably, everyone's going to probably pick Mike Bailey versus Osprey for most of us. You know what I mean? If you're watching Stupid AEW, It'll probably be um, Brian and Andrade, but I I, I gotta say that um, um I I gotta say that like Brian and Andrade was probably one of the only matches I really liked. The thing and I don't I don't mind the angles. It just it seems to me sometimes, and and it, it's maybe because there's some backstage stuff going on with Malachi Black or some injury or something like that. It feels like some of these guys between Bullet Club or House of Black they'll start feud with BC. They start feud with people. But then it all scatters around, and the thing is, is like, like Dynamite has my interest for the week whenever I'm watching Dynamite, right? Like, this is good enough, whatever. I feel like when I watch Collision, even though I'll get good matches, the booking of it sometimes makes me a little bit confused of where it's supposed to be going. Because, like, like Starks has a bunch of feuds going on, Brian has a bunch of feuds going on, and then, you know, and then you have Mox, BCC is getting involved with House of Black, but then Mox is involved with Orange Cassidy. So I know they're going to intertwine these and over the next couple of, you know, like couple of weeks, but it, as somebody that doesn't know what's going on, it's kind of mm. confusing, uh, you know, to say the least. Like, I'm not saying that, like, it was a bad night or anything. That Battle of the Belts, I was, honestly, I, 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 even I, like, tried to do recaps for for my podcast. I gave up halfway through. I was like, it's just like, the thing is, like, you see title matches all the time. If, if you had sparingly title matches, like you, you don't put a world title match on your main show sometime, and you actually saved something and built like a class of the champions. Maybe I could see something uh, you know valuable about the belts, but uh, I just don't think that it's needed anymore because you already have three shows where you're already you know giving away title matches. You don't need. I don't think. I don't think it, this is needed for it for some reason. I, I guess you can just say it's uh, designed for them to just get title uh, defenses out of the way so you can just add to their stats if you care about that kind of thing, right? You know, but I, otherwise, I, 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 don't, I don't see a point of that. Um, I'll, I'll just go ahead I mean, and what's, what's even the value of, of adding, a, a, you know, a number to, you know, somebody's, um, I guess, t- title defense? I mean, it's just a statistic, right? I, I don't think it's simply to do that. Um, I think it's for Tony Khan to be able to earn more, uh, revenue for for AEW by selling another hour. I often try to think about the the reason why, like you know, after so much, um, I think fan, um, uh, I guess, um, criticism of both, you know, a, a battle of the belts or even like prior, like an AEW rampage, why he wouldn't make more of an effort to stack them. And I I have to also like I have to question like um how much is he getting paid for these shows, and is there something that might be um stopping him from wanting to give his best product out for these shows that he might not be getting paid for 
uh, all that much. I don't know. That's just maybe a, a, a theory. Um, I was I, I'm considering. No, I, I I get you. No, I get you. No, because I mean the guy's gonna do him. The guy's gonna do him. He just I I just like but I guess like I I wouldn't maybe I wouldn't have minded it more. But like we, we already have collision now, right? So I, I I just guess like it just with AEW, I didn't want to feel like it's an overkill. Like with WWE, like sometimes it's like it's easy for me to get through WWE because I can force through so many video packages and I can catch up. Like what like I start SmackDown like at eight forty five, I start Raw at nine thirty, and I'm able to catch up by the time your your guys shows start for your live podcast. So like you know, with AEW, like uh, this week. I, I I don't forward through much of the matches because it's all it's always like you know one after another and I found myself this week uh, pa- uh pausing for like the uh, the last hour and I went to go listen to your podcast instead of like actually you know uh finishing finishing it up I finished it up on Friday and I never I guess maybe because it's just just too much wrestling is getting to me right now mm-hmm. but the other thing that I'll, I'll say before I go um again. I, I know Kate and I will probably sound like broken records because we, because we, we, I, I mean, we, I'm happy we, to have someone backing me up and I no, know what you're I, about I mean, to say. I, I, I don't think John or Wade don't back up your sentiment. No. You know what I mean? But like, it, it just, I, I, I feel like an asshole always calling in complaining about women, like the lack of women's wrestling sometimes. And the thing is like, I understand maybe the first couple of like months or a year or whatever, but it, it does feel like they have taken a step back from like featuring more women on, on the show like I, I, i'll give them this there's been a bunch of character development that i have been interested in with sky blue mm-hmm. tony storm Will, willow i just I, I just think there's so many people that are, are getting over that they would function they, they would um you know do well with having maybe another segment or an in-ring segment during the during the week of one of, one of your main shows. I, I just don't understand the like the like the the thought process of not wanting more women wrestling on your show to get more people over. Like I'm just saying, if you're if you're giving away outrunners versus the Bullet Club, like you can have like you know somebody you can have Tony Storm come out th- this week and do a match and then cut a promo and and, and fine, it might not blow everyone away, but at least you're getting more women's matches. Like what are the outrunners versus the Bullet Club going to do for me? Really, you know what I mean? I'm just saying you could use more women on and I just feel like a, I feel like a broken record, but I just don't understand why Tony Khan does, does this. You know what I mean? Because it, it, it just makes other companies look more appealing. You know what I mean? Other, other than, cause like, cause to me, if, I, if I'm a woman signing with this company, it's like, if I'm talking about television time, it's like, how much, like, why would I go, go for NXT or WWE where I'll get, better character development and you know maybe more time even if it's not the best creative ever you know what i mean i can see now why people opt to go to other places like nwa has a better women's division than t and an aw in my personal opinion but I'll, I'll leave you guys with that um but i i love um both reviews of impact and collision guys you guys are awesome so uh thanks for t- letting me call thank and you. uh give my opinion thank you Hansi. thank you impressive that he can listen to both you know one hour plus shows in in the span of um the same the, the both of them happening at the same time but um um any any reactions to what hanzi said kate i i think i mean he knows that i agree with him about the women i said a lot about it earlier i think if you take tony Khan at his word it's that women haven't equaled ratings and therefore he's not going to give them time so I mean that's so that is what it is in the egg situation, yeah. is it not? But if, yeah. yeah, if you don't 
allow things to build up. And as I said, I have some sympathy at the beginning where he really did not have the star power at his disposal, but you get over those problems by changing it. And he, I think it's subtly more offensive because he has gotten over other problems that people have pointed out, like getting more stories like doing slowing down the pace of dynamite a little which really became it became easier obviously because of collision one of the big ones was more representation for african americans on the show which has improved a lot and so when you see something like his presentation of women that has generated criticism for years and which now is simply turning into criticism of the critics. It's it's a very frustrating thing, and so I don't know what's going on there. But so it, so if one of the criticisms, what what, if one of the criticisms, I guess you know, might be lack of star power, lack of ratings, even at this point. Hmm. Um, I want to know at the beginning. Maybe- yeah. At the beginning, right? Okay, I guess star power is relative, right? Um, mm-hmm. what, what 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 does what would Tony Khan consider a star? You know, so is is Tony Storm a star, or is he looking for somebody on the level of a Becky Lynch, or maybe even a Mercedes Monet? So, I guess my question is, what changes about any of this, in, in your opinion, when if or for when most Mercedes Monet might come in? I think that. If you didn't make more allowances for Soraya, then obviously Mercedes is a bigger get than that. But when Soraya first showed up, it did look like they were putting more effort into the women's division. And then they kind of clawed that back. So if I'm Mercedes going into this company, then I'm going to be pretty nervous because when you look at what's happened... There hasn't been a star yet who's been able to sort of push through this block that Tony seems to have. And Tony Storm's getting point, there. Tony Storm yeah, is Tony getting Storm, there. Tony Britt, Storm is I would getting argue there as well. Britt, I think, did. But again, even during those periods, you weren't getting more than one match per show. And that is a barrier that you have to break down. There's about once a year on each of their shows where they have either two women's matches, like one of them will be a squash or whatever, but they have two women's matches or they have a mixed tag match. And that's not a good statistic. I think what's really shocking is that they have what a lot of people are saying is the best story in women's wrestling going on Ring of Honor with Athena and Billy Starks and Lexi Nair, who's played a, a pivotal role in that. And none of that has appeared on television, even though people are so fond of it. And yes, it's very different having it on Ring of Honor. But you could say that there is a problem with all of the other Ring of Honor champions defending their titles on TV and just barely showing up in Ring of Honor and Athena only being on Ring of Honor and never showing up on TV. Like that is, that's bad for your best women's program and it's bad for Ring of Honor. I do not understand the logic there at all. I don't understand it either. I mean, okay, let's say you want Athena to be like the the reason why people keep their Honor Club subscription. And I, I mm-hmm. sure that's that could be very valid. I mean, but why not um, take some time to advertise her by having her occasionally appear on a Dynamite or mm-hmm. on a Collision in a prominent role where people can even get a glimpse of what she's doing on mm-hmm. Ring of Honor? So. Yeah. 
Um, a lot of questions to be asked. And uh, as always, I really appreciate you, Kate, for uh, being able to vocalize it on our airwaves. Uh, again, this is a free preview of AEW Collision, which is usually uh, you know, uh, led by John Cena along with Kate from Montreal every Saturday after Collision over at postwrestlingcafe.com. Just $6 a month gets you through the door where you get access to not just Collision Course, but Rewind of SmackDown every Friday. Uh, we have Ask Away coming out. We have MCU later coming out on uh, Sunday with our man Neil and WH Park talking about Loki Season 2. Uh, we have Rewind Away, where John and I just broke down for three hours. WrestleMania 17, perhaps the greatest WWE pay-per-view of all time. So all of that at postwrestlingcafe.com, plus access to 1,000-plus episodes bonus episodes in the archives so do check that out uh oh one last piece of feedback here from form.postwrestling.com and uh patrons of course get access to that form as well we got to andrew from cape breton who says i watched both shows tonight on my rare night off from work i like how willow nightingale isn't as affected by the house of black mist as sky blue she's like a fairy type pokemon and dark type moves are not very effective on her are, are you familiar with the references I, you know what? I have a passing familiarity with Pokemon and that's even that's putting it generally, but I get what he means. I yeah. Know, I know what it is. Very appropriate uh, uh, comparison here from Andrew. I also love the Memphis street fight. Jared can be inconsistent at times, but I thought this match was great. It also kind of shows how Eddie seems to push everyone away as nobody was there to help him on that five on one attack out there. I also like how Malachi Black and the House of Black are becoming the stars of the show on Collision. Pretty good show tonight, and it shows how AEW is in a rebuilding phase. Hopefully the rebuilding helps in the end, and they can get their crowds up again. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Andrew, for that. Uh, so that wraps it up here for Collision Course. Where can people find more of Kate from Montreal? You can find me on Twitter. I am SheRantsAboutWrestling, which is at SheRantsMTL. And, uh, yeah, talking about a variety of wrestling shows, I I am going to have to check out. I'm already behind on my New Japan, and I am going to have to check out Mount for Glory because at least I, I at least want to see uh, Osprey versus Bailey. A little disappointed to find out they put the women's tag match uh, on. I guess they taped it in a free show, and they're just going to make it available on uh, through uh, digital means later this week. So. Yeah, a bit of a bummer, but... Uh, Well, all right. So do, uh, if you haven't already, like Hanzi, go and check out John Sino and John Pollock's review of Bound for Glory right now, available at postwrestlingcafe.com. And we will see you uh, on Monday. Take care. Bye-bye.